0: for
1: Welcome to the Space Cave, a big warg to all of you burgers out there. We're back, recording again out here in the furthest reaches of our known universe, safely tucked in a little cave, away from all of it. It's been a little bit of a hiatus due to um, a cold I had that was making my voice kind of weird. If you listen to the recent uh, Patreon episode, which is well over an hour long of me just solo, didn't really expect that to happen, but... Um, check that out. Uh, My voice is a little odd in that, but I feel like it's back to normal now. Uh, I was also pretty busy getting uh, the theater footage shot at the Dynasty Typewriter, so thanks to those of you. If anyone came uh, on January 26th, that date has some significance. I go into that on the Patreon episode. Hopefully we'll be back and on track. I'll try to keep it a little more consistent, as it has been for pretty much the life of the podcast, although it doesn't... it seems like, you know, when you have however many episodes out there people can kind of cherry pick and or binge from time to time so if you're fully up to speed and you're like man I needed new episodes let me know I know that's kind of the the way the podcast world works where you gotta always be putting stuff out although I've I've got a few messages from people that were like yeah I don't mind if it comes out irregularly so again I'll try to keep on top of it and have something out every week just because I like doing it um, but let me know if you're like, hey man, I, I need you to do that. And if you do, if it is something you need, uh, maybe check out that Patreon because it does help. Thanks to those of you who do subscribe and support the show. It is made possible from contributions by listeners just like you. Okay, let's get into it. This is part one with a great guest. I was on her podcast recently. I thought she was just great. She's really funny. And she had, she at the time had a much worse cold than I did. She was gobbling down cough drops and coughing a lot and she was really struggling and yet getting through it. And I was like, Oh, I, I wouldn't push myself that far. I, I like doing a podcast, but I'm not gonna, uh, tough it out that way. So I was really impressed by her drive and determination. And, um, and then she was nice enough to stop by here where we, we run things a little, uh, more laid back and don't push ourselves too hard when we're not feeling great. And, uh, she, her podcast that i mentioned is called creature feature i think you'll enjoy it i really i really dug it and uh partly like goofy and improv and also really well researched and kind of scripted so it was really impressive the amount of work that went into it anyway um you can find her on on uh, twitter i'll get into all that at the end anyway here's part one with katie golden i've begun Sweet. Yeah. I'm going to open mine. Feel free to try to okay. match this cool Foley work.
2: Nice. Cool. Okay, Ooh, hang that on. That was Let pretty me, good. I'm going to do mine, like, really try to pace it so that it's... Okay, and then... Okay, there Oh, ready. yeah,
1: that was good. How's it that? was so long in between, people might be like, wait, was that the same
2: right, tab being opened? Well, it's sort of the... Um, I, I think it's it's kind of like like the anticipation is good. <laughs> it's like a little bit of beer ASMR.
1: Yeah, uh, one, t- one time I was at a comedy club and they uh, put a shot on stage on the stool next to me. I didn't notice it, and I could feel the crowd kind of getting a weird energy. And I was mm-hmm. like, "What is going on?" And someone just pointed at the stool and i was like oh this is where you're all focus- this shot here mm-hmm. and then they really couldn't get themselves together until i at least held it up right and then there was this weird anticipation as i was like yeah okay i'll do it uh, you got appeared pressured by the audience i did yeah and i would imagine those people if you were in um maybe you're in a house it's not even that dark out but they hear the first part of what you did like mm-hmm. and they wait wait Mm-hmm. Is that a beer being open? Mm-hmm. And then once the second part happens, Pavlovian
2: go, response, you just start like drooling like Homer Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: That's what this crowd would have done. And they'd yeah. be so delighted to know that second snap sound. Right. Happened.
2: Right. Just everyone kind of leaning in and like, <gasps> please tell me you're going to drink alcohol. <laughs> don't leave me hanging, bro. <laughs> <laughs> this is a mind
1: haze IPA from fire so Much I don't know an how Epa. I feel about. Yeah, it's an IPA. Firestone Walker, which I don't know what that means. Did they merge with Johnny Walker or something? Mm. But Firestone itself is a company that doesn't really need a lot of help. Tires, right? Yeah. And then wasn't he one of the first Bachelors or something? Remember Andrew Firestone was oh Firestone? Yeah, he was like a popular guy.
2: Yeah. Yes. Of course, I'm deeply familiar with uh, the show The Bachelor, in which (laughs) it's a bachelor running around. Collecting roses and
1: yeah, he collects them, doles them. Full disclosure, I have never seen an episode of The Bachelor, Mm -hmm. but I felt like
2: he's like, Please take a rose from my garden. And then they cry a lot,
1: they cry, and sometimes Mm -hmm. they're skeptical that he did grow it in his garden. Right?
2: They're like, Is this rose from your garden? It looks suspiciously like from a a rose store. (laughs) And he's like, No, check out my garden.
1: Yeah. And then they go, where is this garden? And that's the whole season. And he's like,
2: the garden is in my pants and then things get real frisky. That's what the show's about? I don't. don't know. I don't watch The Bachelor.
1: Oh, you led me to believe that I know. I'm
2: really good at sounding like an expert about things that I have know nothing about. It's one of my mini skills. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Because I was, I fully bought it. That's a pretty good show. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought uh, one, I'd tune in to see that garden revealed at the end of the season. But then, if they're always getting frisky because of the allure of the garden, even better show.
2: Yeah, it's just like some drama happens. He's like, why don't you meet me later? in the garden
1: Pretty good impression of uh, what The Bachelor likely is. Right, right. Don't you feel like with the state of things that people would have a real pushback against reality shows in general? You'd think so. They've gotten us to this point.
2: You'd think so, right? Because, I mean, I thought there was a little bit of that. I know that The Great British Bake Off was super popular. I'm actually watching it just right now. I just started. I know I'm like five years late. I don't Mm -hmm. know when it, like...
1: (laughs) It's been going forever.
2: (laughs) But it, it is... A reality show, but with very good vibes and, like, very little drama, and it's just very nice, and they're always really gentle when they have to kick someone off the show, and everyone seems to like each other
1: i've heard a lot of that in the background of my home and mm-hmm. uh so i know the show i know oh that's got Great. a good bake on it yeah it's a bit underproved it's I got a that. bit
3: of a soggy bottom <laughs> you've got a bit of a soggy bottom on your crumpet but the the, the taste is there unfortunately it, it is raw so we must send you home on account of the soggy bottom and you know, you know we don't like a soggy bottom here
1: <laughs> we don't like it raw the soggy bottom mm-hmm. we like it proved <laughs> <and> not underproved. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling your impression of her is pretty good and I could probably mm-hmm. zero the, in on a Paul Hollywood the Mary Berry yeah Mary Berry yeah, yours is Mary good because she really it's v-
3: simply scrumptious <laughs> of course I do think it's a little odd that you included an entire Snickers bar in the center of your bread um, <laughs> that's a little bit odd and I, I do think it's quite odd that you made it in the shape of a penis but you know Oh, aside from that, and the soggy bottom, it, it's quite nice. It's quite <laughs> lovely.
1: Oh, you got her quite like she's she does she quite kind of like she squishes in her mouth a little. You it, got you nailed that.
3: The, the British language it occurs mostly between the palate and the two front teeth, and then that's all. It's the only. Place you talk from? You
1: just t- <laughs> wait. The palate is—you
3: is you, you s- s- you squeeze the air through your front teeth. <laughs>
2: no, I don't know.
1: Like your tongue is always touching the roof your of your palate
2: is the top of like the back upper part of the mouth. But I think the, so. So the why do they say palette? you have a good the palate? There's the hard palate, which is like oh why do they I don't know
1: (laughs) shouldn't it be like you've got good (laughs) taste buds yeah you're right uh, you're right
2: Jesus all this time we've been operating under false false words for tasting things connoisseurs who's the real connoisseur us who know what palate is or you wine man
1: yeah, take that, wine man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> My insults are on point today. I'm very vicious. Really
1: came in swinging.
2: Take that, wine man.
1: We've got a real vendetta against wine man. Yeah. He had that coming, though.
2: Yeah, of course, wine man. You swishing it around and spitting it out. That's not how you drink a wine, idiot. You
1: <laughs> think you have a great
2: palate? It's uh-huh. your taste buds, dummy. Yeah, dummy. You, you spit it out into a, a bowl. That's, that's the opposite of drinking, stupid. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That'd be a fun character, someone that goes to wine tastings or those sort of events. He yeah. Has the money to be there. Maybe this has been done a billion times where someone is not cultured but they're around suddenly very cultured people and then they go oh oh never mind now I hate this joke it feels very like like a newspaper cartoon
2: oh good if it tastes so good why are they spitting it out yeah oh that's a great oh good I'm gonna do that I'm gonna submit it to the New Yorker but it's gonna be like dogs i think and mm-hmm. they're standing on their hind legs and there's a wine tasting dog and like one of the dogs is saying like oh if if you're so smart at wine why are you spitting it out idiot and but there's no explanation for why they're dogs
1: i like that they're smart at wine mm-hmm. they're not smart. just like if wine connoisseurs. they're no, no,
2: good at wine
1: smart at wine
2: sorry what do you think the Definition of connoisseur is... Being smart, smart at something. Smart at wine. Yeah, smart yeah. at math.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think I, what I'd add to that cartoon as well is one dog, and he's definitely got at least a monocle, if not a pipe, oh, yeah. and like, maybe oh, even spats on. on his little feet. Spats. Good. And he's really got his nose in another dog's butt. Uh-huh, and then deep he in there. hears the guy that's smart at wine uh-huh. or that's being yelled at good yeah and then he kind of cocks an eye like
3: oh, would you believe it They're so
1: uncultured
2: but he still got his nose <laughs> right. right in the and butt right and then he 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 like briefly comes up for air to say how oh, uncultured and then shoves his nose deep inside the other dog's anus yeah, yeah no i like that i the i think the key to cartooning is these sort of like uh, I actually took a cartooning class a long time ago uh, and w- the the key thing that you need to know is like um, using easily readable symbols for the reader. So the spats represent it's a really easy to pick up on visual cue for the reader to see this is a dog yeah. of culture. Now, and you juxtapose that with the dog nose deep inside the asshole of the other dog and that's an, that is signaling to the reader that the dog's faces in another dog's ass and yeah um, yeah it's good it's good to have those kind of like quick at a glance symbols in your comics and that's a successful New Yorker comic.
1: I believe uh, it. I think you're yeah. smart at comics.
2: I'm I'm a yeah, I'm good at comics. Bad at wine apparently, cuz mm. I don't spit my wine out like an idiot. Got to spit it out.
1: <laughs> 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 if you're tasting it wrong, you're all up in the front mm-hmm. of your palate mm-hmm. being British. You got to get back there to the back. Mm-hmm. Let it hit the roof of your mouth. That's where the, the palate is.
2: Well, there's the soft palate that's like way back in yeah. your mouth that if you try to touch you might kind of gag a little bit. And then yeah. there's the hard palate.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um I think. Yeah. Actually, now that I think of it, I'm not as super... You'd think I'm really good at naming all the anatomical structures of the mouth, but not not really. <laughs> it's like my, my one weakness.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. When you... Your, your degree is in... Or your history, your background is in overall biology or what specifically? It's, well,
2: so I got my degree in psychology and I took... This sounds really stupid, but I took a bunch of evolutionary biology classes and... I was as a uh, little baby in college I was like between on the fence between doing evolutionary biology and psychology and I didn't know which to do so I did psychology because it allowed me to take a bunch of evolutionary biology classes and because they were about behavior I got to count those towards my psychology degree so my background is about synergizing and laziness and then when I uh, graduated, I did some work for the uh, evolutionary biology department. I, I made some educational animations. Um, and where did you go to school? Harvard. Harvard. And you did
1: do animation so the comic thing was yeah. something you were pre- so you yeah. had three kind of interests.
2: Yeah, yeah. Drawings. Drawings. Knowing
1: what makes people tick. Yeah. And then also like when the heck did we get here? Animals.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I did with the animation I took like a scientific animation class and did some. I did. I also did some educational stuff for the psychology department, and then I did some for the evolutionary biology department, where I showed like the evolution from the fin to like terrestrial feet, which was fun. And then after college, I worked for a uh, media company that did animations for pharmaceutical researchers, which was interesting. I learned a lot about medicine, and I also. Got very depressed
1: <laughs> <laughs> at what you were doing, or the way they targeted, like what they're all about, what they represent. A little
2: bit of that. Mostly, it was just like an insane amount of work. So it was like doing, like I would do animations and um, help interpret like storyboards and talk to science writers, and that that was like fun. But it was also like sometimes the hours were insane, like sixty-hour weeks, which was driving me slowly insane. You've
1: already mentioned um, your desire for synergy and then additionally laziness. <laughs> laziness this yeah. feels like it's not really sleep hitting that Im- second part. Yeah,
2: sleep is important to me. Um, I enjoy getting a full, like, 10 hours of sleep every <laughs> night. <No. laughs> but yeah, I, I, I appreciate having sleep and having my evenings free to, like, you know, look up pictures of gross parasites. Um, but, like... That's uh, what you're into
1: now or you've uh, always been?
2: Always. But, uh, yeah, and, and so I would do the... Uh, there was also a little bit of like learning some I mean I I would say that because our educational materials were for um, researchers there wasn't a whole lot of the like we're gonna market this pill towards some some people who probably can't afford it like so it wasn't too much of that although I did learn a little bit about some of the you know, not too pleasant underbelly of the pharmaceutical industry. Like, stuff about um, how basically if you have a patent on a drug, you can, and your patent's about to run out, like, if you can convince uh, the FDA, basically, that you are now... Using this drug formulation for a different um, to treat a different thing, like say you have uh, a drug that treats um, depression, and then but now it works for gout. (laughs) Exactly, like now it works for um, postpartum depression, and then so you can kind of extend your patent on that. And I think that is not really in the spirit of invention necessarily. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I think it, it there's small amount of that but mostly it was just like also looking at things like there there are a lot of like epidemiological things that we had to go through and just looking at how people die (laughs) (laughs) pictures of surgeries all the time that was actually kind of cool but um, yeah it was mostly the the level of work and then sometimes the content of that work was a little bit hmm, a bit of a downer
1: yeah that sounds Unpleasant. Yeah, people discuss those topics all the time, but no one's in there actually. You were in the thick of it. You were.
2: Yeah, I guess. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. I I mean, it's like you're. You're. On one hand, you're going through a. Uh, basically a textbook and trying to replace all the instances of a drug name when it's used in the incorrect uh, context and you're going through and like reading all about like cancer and and the horrible things that are going on and then like the way that this drug interacts with the surface receptors of a cell which that part again interesting I I felt like I learned some really cool stuff about um, how medicine works and that was cool but then yeah, after like the the 47th time of like finding up schmadalimumab in the textbook, it got a little bit... Is that little, a weird real thing, No, I, I I added some extra syllables because I'm not sure how sue heavy they are. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> I don't know okay. if I'm like, would be breaking some like... I, 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 I don't think I signed any contracts. I don't remember. I'm just generally scared of... The pharmaceutical companies yeah. suing me for everything. That
1: seems reasonable. But
2: shmadalimumab.
1: But <laughs> <laughs> I think of psychology, I think of it more as not a soft science, but more, you know, it's less having to deal with cell structures and receptors and things like that.
2: I mean, certainly it depends on um, the track, the psychology track you go on. Like, so for me, I would say my educational background and then my post-college stuff was sort of a like hodgepodge of things where I was kinda like at a salad bar of learning and picked the things that interested me, which was maybe not super forward thinking for my career, but it definitely is what I did. <laughs> and so I
1: what did you want your
2: career to sorry I to interrupt could, a little bit? I didn't know. I, I I just like studied what I thought was cool and yeah. so like you can't if,
1: it's easy to be mean or bad you know, like Look yeah. back and be a little regretful, but you didn't I know it. Well,
2: I actually don't regret it. It ended up working out okay for me, but it was, in retrospect, like probably not the. Mm, it wasn't the greatest amount of foresight, but I, I don't think it was like I don't. I'm not mad at myself for doing that because I was just like driven by curiosity, and so um, there are different different fields in psychology. So like um, there's there's neuroscience, which is very. I guess you would call the very wet science in a way. Like you're, you are doing like um, extremely um, visual. Like uh, you're doing like visualizations of the brain and studying that, or stu- you know, um, you can be studying like synaptic. Uh, <laughs> I, I sound so so dumb when I'm trying to explain it, but like like you know you're 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 looking at like oh, okay like here here's how um, we've put someone in an MRI, we've seen how they respond to a certain stimulus, or we are dissecting a brain and examining like these synaptic structures like structures post mortem or something, and um, so it's a it's a very it can be a very wet science to the more like. Um, I I don't think dry science is a term but you know where it's like we are doing a survey of people's attitudes on this or I what I did as a lab assistant uh, was like have people come into the lab and then you lie to their faces uh, to get them to do a study because like you can't reveal what like if you're doing a behavioral research study you can't reveal to them what you're looking for because that ruins the study so you have to lie and lie so you'd lie. be like, we want you to
1: try some coffee. And they're like, I love coffee. <laughs> and they're like, it's actually about seeing what idiots will go into that room and drink coffee.
2: <laughs> I guess. That's not too far from it. Like, an example, let me see. I had a great... I worked for a really wonderful grad student who had some really, um, like, ingenious study designs. But one of them was like... um, see. So you had them eat a pretzel and then you told them that you were studying the enzymes in their saliva. So you had to collect a saliva sample, but you gave them some water, but it was like a beaker of water. And they could only drink so much of it during the study because like you lied to them, said, well, if you drink too much, you'll dilute the enzymes in your saliva. And... Um, Basically, we would collect the saliva and then immediately throw it out. And then I, that was my least favorite part because, like, sometimes people didn't get it all in the vial. So I'd, like, get this, like, gross spit-covered vial and then toss it out. It's, like, such a waste. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, but the, the actual study was to see how they rationed their water. So they had, like, you got these really salty pretzels. <laughs> these pretzels are making me thirsty. Like, I'm sure the my grad student I worked with, um, I... I would say her name. I don't necessarily want to name call her in case she wouldn't want that, but I, I do. She is wonderful. So, um, but like she, was like I, I feel like she watched that episode of Seinfeld and yeah. like the pretzels are making me so making me thirsty. And she's like, huh, pretzels, <laughs> thirst, huh? And then like a bunch of equations hovering above her. <laughs> but yeah, and then so measuring like how uh, how quickly they drank the water, and then we did like a. Uh, it was a multifaceted study. So after they would leave the pretzel room, then they were accosted by a conspirator who is someone working for the study who was like, "Hey, I'm a psych student. Like, I've got this survey. I need to get like like people filled out. Like, and I I really need it done by tomorrow. And like, I don't have that many people. Like, do you mind spending like a little bit like filling out this survey? And then they would fill out the survey. And so the the what the what stu- this sounds completely insane, but what the study was looking for was whether she's trying to connect like how people think of themselves in the future and plan for their well-being in the future and how people empathize with other people. So looking for a connection between like, hey, yeah, I'll spend like 10 minutes on your boring survey because I want to help you. And yeah, okay, I'll save this water for like five minutes from now, even though I kind of want to drink it all now. <laughs> I realize in five minutes after I've eaten five more pretzels, like it's gonna, you know, my mouth's gonna be really dry. So looking at that that connection between like, hey, maybe our empathy is connected to like how we, see our future selves like we think of our future selves as almost like a different person and so if we can plan appropriately for ourselves in the future we also have empathy for others and um, I'm not sure what her final results were for that but it's a very interesting concept
1: I'd love to see that with parents I mean so Mm -hmm. many people have not a resentment toward their parents but my mom or dad wasn't there enough Mm -hmm. or they were so doting And either way, you could look at that as the parent being gone, like, I need to make a lot of money to take care of you, but I'm not around much. Yeah. So there's an empathy there in a weird way that's sort of disconnected. Right. The other one being like, yeah, I forced you onto the golf course every day and I was adamant about you getting up and working out and whatever. Cause I was always there. I had the time and I thought I was being empathetic, but I, how much was, were either of those people thinking about their future right. self in that equation?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting too, because I think there's it's a sort of detached analytical empathy that could be like, okay, I want to do the, like the best thing for this person, but I am going to figure out how to do that basically by, trying to think rationally about it, which I I, I do kind of hate the distinction between rational and emotional because I think that there's no such distinction. I think that emotions guide all thought and to say like rational emotion is detached from emotions it's like no it's just a different kind of emotion guiding Don't you, you
1: I, this is maybe uh, a little tangential to that but people nowadays especially with toxic masculinity being such mm-hmm. i think people will go like you know be more in touch with your emotions etc but w- one we're kind of raised with heroes keep their cool when right. cr- things are going crazy yeah so they are like being able to like submerge your emotions to a certain degree like okay there is a gun pointed at me do I inside want to freak out and run around and maybe cry maybe yell yes but I'm going to like pretend things are fine right so there's I I feel like there is some value to that to some degree but how do we strike that balance yeah
2: I think there's got to be a balance I mean I'm a I'm a rabid bra burning Feminist, is bra burning like a <laughs> still a thing? Um, but I, I also feel like sort of tied into that is you have to you, you consider like how society treats treat, treats like everyone of every gender, right? And men, I think, are trained from a young age to have to conform to a certain way, just as women are. Mm-hmm. And it's I, I think the problem with the way men are ra- raised is not like it's that I think the spectrum of emotions is just narrowed Um, and like you've got sort of these conscribed Uh, behaviors that you're allowed to do. I mean, and then that's the same thing for women. Uh, But I think the problem is that like, yeah, I mean, keeping your cool can be a really positive trait, right? Like you are really stressed out. You want to cry, but you, you kind of like take a deep breath and then keep going. That's a really good um, trait. Uh, Never talking about your feelings (laughs) and never showing any emotion. Like you are suffering but you cannot reveal any vulnerability. That's terrible. Yeah. And that's really bad for your mental health, uh, you know. And so I think that, really, the, I guess the best way to, think about it would be that. Like first of all emotional ranges shouldn't be defined by gender that's silly like you know that there's no evidence to suggest that makes sense Um, and also just like yeah so you can have you can express your feelings and express your emotions but you can also learn how to work with your emotions in a way that's constructive so if you're really upset instead of yelling and and crying which you you should sometimes be able to do like I think sometimes you you know like that isn't always a bad thing but like if that's the only way you know how to deal with emotions that that's limiting as well so instead of expressing it that way think about think through like okay like right now I'm like you think about your your introspective right you're thinking okay I'm really upset right now and I want to cry why is that why am I feeling this way And, and you can talk about it with someone you can have an internal monologue of like okay I'm really upset I'm sad why am I sad well you know someone like you know, someone I thought was my friend like betrayed me. Of course, I'm gonna feel sad. That's okay. Like that's that I should feel sad about that. And then you you maybe you your response is to cry. Maybe your response is like I want to talk to someone about it. I'm gonna reach out. Maybe your response is something like, okay, let me let me think about like think about like what constructive things I could do. Should I reach out to them or should I kind of like just give myself some space right now? So I think there's it's hard to talk about like how you should wield emotions in like one way because I think there's a whole range of approaches you can take and it's particular to each person but i think that's that's the key is like anytime you limit someone like you're only allowed to feel anger or rational like yeah that's bad (laughs) like like you need to have some freedom to both you know have your own personality represented by a range of emotions and also have a variety of responses to the very complex environment that we're all plopped into in the
1: the nature of psychology, it's hard for me to remove from my thought process that it's beyond just therapy, Mm -hmm. you know? So like when I hear you talking about that in such a way that I think people, when they think of therapy, they think of someone was sitting there holding a pencil Mm -hmm. with their hand under their chin going, and how did that make you feel? (laughs) And that's so, that would be really frustrating because I'd almost prefer, and I'm curious if you did any sessions where not that you know the concrete kind of, but to some degree, with like uh, evolutionary biology, to know where humans came from, to know what guides and dictates mm-hmm. our fears, our yeah. what has created these complex emotions, to hear someone analytically just go through what you just did, mm-hmm. here's potentially a few reasons why you might be feeling this way, here's what might help going forward, I would feel that would be much more cathartic than, and how'd that make you feel?
2: Well, so there's, I guess, two things that I would respond with one is that like psychology as a field is not just like therapy or psychiatry so like and I I know you know that but like I think it's good it's worth repeating which is like a lot of psychology is just research and that's I was never in the clinical track when I was studying as an undergrad Mm -hmm. um for me I I just like basically like you go you go into class and they're like here's the brain now we're gonna like (laughs) look at what it does uh and that tied into my interest in evolutionary biology where I was interested in uh animal behavior and uh and sort of the evolutionary origins of humans and animals and uh for uh, but for therapy, so like in the clinical area, so you have psychiatrists who are doctors of medicine who can prescribe you medications. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, uh, psychologists and therapists who uh, can't prescribe you medications, but they are, you know, highly trained in um, in, in therapy. They can also be doctors. They would be doctors. Uh, you know dot, like have a phd or yeah. something um, and they know
1: all the cool words which i would <laughs> guess is very helpful when you're like i do this this, this and they go that's hyper regressive blah mm-hmm. blah blah blah. and you go, what is that And they mm-hmm. go, well, a lot of people do this and, and that to know that yeah. someone knows that how great would that feel
2: well a lot of people equate um therapy with uh with a psychoanalysis psychotherapy where it's like the freudian thing of like like you're like, oh, you're sad. That is because you you uh,
3: envy your father's <laughs> penis. Yes, you you uh, you saw your dad dick once, and now it, it made you go crazy. <laughs> you're, have some candy and
2: cocaine. <laughs>
3: yeah, have a cigar now. Oh, it's an oral fixation because you want you want that cigar to be you a penis. That you cigar. like Don't that cigar? You? you want it to be a penis? Yes. Um, <laughs> Not your father's <laughs> penis, though, is it?
2: Oh, unless you have an. Edible complex. <laughs> um, ooh, that'd be a good, like, uh, pot co- weed company, like, edible complex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But, yeah, so so most therapy nowadays is not Freudian in, or, or even Jungian, the, the other guy that nobody knows oh, about. Oh, yeah, the collective
1: um, unconscious.
2: Yeah, right? exactly, uh, in nature. It's usually, so, like, there's... Um, there's uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's usually where you, uh, again, like I'm not, I was never trained in therapy and never took the clinical track. I actually attended therapy because I've had OCD since I was like a little tiny kid. And so I, I've, so it, like when you have OCD, it's kind of like a lifetime management thing where it never, It's hard to, like, quote-unquote, cure it, Mm -hmm. but you can manage it throughout your life to a level where it's like, hey, you know, I don't mind that I have OCD anymore because it doesn't, like, make my life suck.
1: A recent thing where uh, a person was going through treatment with it, and they started engaging in this behavior that was like, well, I don't need to double-check that I closed that drawer, but my disorder does right and giving it a thing like here you go right is that
2: common or no yeah that's very common so it's like you think about i think it's like a you're almost trading things with this this kind of um it's almost like your your ocd mind that that you're working with where it's like okay look you cannot take over my life like i can't be doing like these ocd rituals all the time and Uh, You know, like if if it's starting to get to the point where it is, you know, taking up a lot of my time or my energy, like we can't do that. But if it's something so so you're kind of constantly um, waging this sort of like cost benefit analysis of like, okay, if I check to make sure the door is locked, I'm going to do it exactly one time. Mm -hmm. We can't go back. And, you know, you'll have to be happy with that. <laughs> and I think like there's some certainly like I'm sure like some treatment plans that would disagree where it's like, OK, you can never like give in to the OCD behavior because that just strengthens it. And that's there's some truth to that. But I, I do also think that just for the stress level of the, the person with OCD, it is kind of it is. I think empowering a little bit to think of it as a negotiation because then you're not so like, I have to crush the OCD and and stop. It's like, okay, look, you're trying to keep me safe. You think that to keep me safe, we've got to check to make sure the oven is turned off like five times. I understand. Like you're trying to protect me. And that's that's nice of you. Let's check it (coughs) one time, right? Because we did use the, okay, if we didn't use the oven, why do we need to check it? We don't. But if we used it, okay, let's make sure it's turned off it is turned off remember this it's turned off you know what helped now we me go with away that? and it's fine
1: saying it out loud yeah and i never thought of it like i was talking to a voice or something mm-hmm. that was like take this you which would yeah. be helpful but it but it kind of was it was there for, was some for duality an,
2: for anxiety for like ocd tendencies. for things
1: that i was doing that i guess looking back were were ocd i don't mm-hmm. like when people go oh, i'm a little ocd and oh no under-
2: i mean but you can it is a spectrum like it's It's when people say I'm OCD because they're tidy and neat. Like, that's not true. But if you're you're like, ooh, I I was really superstitious to the point of it kind of being troublesome or like I would check things a lot and kind of worry excessively. It's like, yeah, that could be like... I would
1: do stuff like that. And I would do things where if we were driving, especially as a little kid in the passenger seat, I would be connecting lines, like all the mile markers back and forth across for... Yeah, hours it felt like and and going like please stop doing this.
2: And you were compelled to do it and you felt uncomfortable when you didn't do it and you kind of wanted not to do it. And more so
1: like when I was doing it I'd be going I wish I wasn't doing this. Yeah. I wish I'd stop and then my brain would would kind of go let's do a couple more.
2: Yeah that's like I would say like that's somewhere on the spectrum yeah of like uh, I I don't when I say spectrum I don't mean the autism spectrum. That's a different thing but the OCD spectrum which um, is not I I don't know if that's like the common lingo (laughs) for it but I don't know how else to describe describe it, but yeah, I think yeah it, it's um, it is a kind of <laughs> negotiation, I think a little bit of a and you kind of want to like think of it as not your enemy but like a part of you that's trying to protect you but is ha- is overreacting a little bit. And so there's so th- that like cognitive behavioral therapy there's also um, uh, oh I'm trying to think what it's called. There's, uh, I think it's like dialectical therapy where, hmm, I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's there. Nowadays, I think that like it's definitely goes way beyond sort of like a, a guy in a beard and, and spectacles like leaning back in a chair and going like tell me about your childhood Yeah, uh, it, it. there's a lot more nuance to it there's a lot more focus like hey okay so you have this specific problem let's focus on this and look for solutions and so I think if you're if you've never if you are interested in going to therapy and you've never been and your perspective of it is someone's going to like try to delve into your childhood that's not typically the case and of course like the thing is, like, therapists are, are humans, so sometimes you could find a therapist who is not helping you. Either their, you know, their techniques don't work for you or they could just not be great at their job. <laughs> so you can, like, like, you don't... There's not one... Like, I've, I've had, like, different, I've gone to different therapists, and so I've never had, like, a bad therapist one who's, like, really, you know, bad at it, but I've had ones that just, like, their techniques don't really help me that much, so I find someone else, and then theirs works better. Um, of course, that, I understand, like, not everyone has the choice to, like, do that, but, like, if you, if you can, um, you know, and you can find, like, you know, someone else, especially if, sometimes you will go to a clinic, um, and you, they have, like, different, therapist there and so you can like say like hey you know I kind of maybe want to try someone else or something and they're not going to take it personally mm-hmm. they understand so yeah I mean I think it's it's much broader than just the, the kind of Freudian thing which really is not used that much today uh, and it's you know there's also um, I think a lot of people have the sense of like medication is a uh, alternative to therapy and I would say the best use of medication when it comes to mental health is as a supplement to therapy where it's like or vice versa where it's like you use them hand in hand you use the medication to help you get over those like initial roadblocks or to just help maintain your stress levels but then the therapy is really important to learn uh, coping skills and sometimes like a psychiatrist will both prescribe medication and give you like cognitive behavioral therapy like I had a psychiatrist who would literally like teach me meditation techniques so there's a lot of like just kind of these like holistic approaches where it's like no I'm not just gonna like throw medication at you I'm gonna teach you how to meditate too (laughs) Uh, so yeah I would say that it's definitely goes beyond the stereotype of what therapy is and so it's always something worth checking out if you have I mean, personally, I think everyone should, there should just be, like, how there are physical checkups. There should be mental health checkups on everyone just to help you out. Like, we have the ability to do it, but it's, I think it's still so stigmatized that people think, like, oh, well, there's something wrong with me if I have to go, and I I just really reject that perception.
1: Um, I'm curious about that thought, too, because if everyone... There's an assimilation aspect, I suppose, where, like, when we're out running wild, you know, free of all of our introspections that we can get really off track of what the norm is. Mm-hmm. And then how do we define it where like, hey, hey, you're operating outside the bounds of maybe you're a sociopath and you're hurting people. Or maybe mm-hmm. you're just a little schizophrenic and you're yelling. And mm-hmm. you're, we, we'd go, that's not helping anything. Mm-hmm. So do we want to assimilate people so that everyone has a job and they're in the system working and hustling away? Or do we want it because we kind of intuitively know... Trust me. I was you yelling at the clouds. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel good. I didn't get anything. I didn't enjoy life. So let's get you back over here where you're medicated. You're going to therapy. I I, I can see both sides of it where some of it is be more like us, be more regular. And yet the other side, which makes way more sense is, you're outside the bounds over there right. and I know you think it's great like putting paint all over yourself and running around naked right. and, and maybe you live in Joshua Tree and that's the norm <laughs> but likely you're doing that maybe you're in traffic and now you're going yeah you're getting a, uh, it's
2: a, it's a very interesting question and it's one I've thought about a lot because I personally would not give up having had OCD so I don't like cringe at the idea of like quote-unquote curing people who are um, like uh, neurodivergent, which is the term for so like oh, there's that's neuro, pretty I like that. yeah, neurotypical is someone who does not have like a, um, you know, mental health issue. And again, it's like it's trying to step away from the phrasing of mental health because even though I think that it's a perfectly reasonable way to phrase it in the same way that you can phrase like your physical health it does have the st- stigma of like oh but then you are mentally unhealthy if yeah. you aren't and especially for things like autism which is not like a, a mental disorder but a just different kind of brain it's like having that term of neurodivergent is really nice because it's like hey that kind of sums it up without having that weird stigma um, but I like I was saying I cringe at the idea of like getting like making everyone assimilate who is neurodivergent. I don't like that. On the other hand, you know, my my thing with OCD is very manageable. It doesn't ruin my life. Some people would do anything to get rid of like yeah. having even OCD. It can, for some people, it's a huge burden and it can really... Um, be hard on them and that's it's like just a different it takes a different form for them and they they would give anything or people with depression like a lot of people would like give anything to not have to deal with depression so to say like you know the way that it's defined within like the clinical psychology is that a um, mental illness has to cause either you harm or other people harm, essentially like it has to interfere with your life in a way that's negative. Uh, cause like if you're OCD, but you love it and it helps you and it doesn't hurt you or anyone else, it's not
1: like a mental illness. It's fine. Yeah. Some people that are bipolar, um, are like I don't like lithium because right. I don't feel like me. I kind of right. like the manic phases. They're fun. Right. And you could understand that. Yeah. Well,
2: as long as as long as they're not like act like sometimes it's like you can have someone who doesn't want treatment but then it turns out it is harmful to them or other people but but then you get to that gray area of like well how do you define that right yeah. of like what does that actually mean does it like is simply the act of not conforming to a society harmful um, like for a guy that's like yelling at the clouds I'd say I don't know if that's really harmful if he's happy he's not hurting anyone maybe <laughs> the clouds feelings I don't know but like um, you know if someone is I, I mean like there's a um, I shouldn't say this because I don't know his name, but there's like a famous artist in LA who I believe has uh, schizophrenia and he ha- is, um, I mean, he's a renowned, world-renowned artist and he has the resources to have like a home and and like wealth, but he kind of just rejects that and he like um, like is without a home by choice, which m- many people who are homeless aren't there by choice and mm. i don't want to like simplify the issue like especially like people with mental uh illnesses or who are neurodivergent who do not have homes i'm gonna title
1: this episode katie thinks all homeless people chose oh it.
2: god no please, sorry no. i have to <laughs> but so, so some some people do and is that wrong like is that harmful uh is it is just the fact that you see someone who is looks like kind of different and is acting a little different from you and maybe is wearing strange clothes and walking around and you feel slightly uncomfortable does that actually merit like changing them like forcefully yeah, changing them i don't Personally, I I mean, obviously, that's kind of a leading question. I clearly don't think that. (laughs) Like, I I think that there's... But the state doesn't
1: either. Like, a 5150 being someone committed to a mental thing has to be threatening. They have to be doing something illegal. If you and I call and go, there's this person, they're clearly crazy. Are they doing anything illegal? Are they threatening you? Well, no, but it's, please help them. Can't. We cannot institutionalize someone against their will. And people have very yeah. mixed feelings on that.
2: I mean, my <coughs> my caveat to that would be: while that might be the co- codified version of like what the state believes, I think the actions that law enforcement takes can, and like the you know, the the government takes against like people who are homeless is very different from that like codified like oh you can't forcefully but you can do things like uh do a lot of like law enforcement or like say you have an encampment of people who are homeless and like someone calls in it's like hey there are these people that make me uncomfortable and then they go in and they're like okay you got to clear out or something so or like (laughs) there was one oh i forgot where it was it might have been in the in northern california somewhere uh, i'm really bad at remembering locations but like they had paid for a bunch of boulders to did you see this story like like there were uh people who were homeless who were sleeping on like the sidewalk you know and like there's no incidents that i know of it's just like people didn't like them sleeping there on the sidewalk so they like like bought a bunch of boulders quote unquote decorative boulders and sat them on the sidewalk so people who are homeless couldn't like sleep there and that was like their solution to it and i think it's it's kind of um you know i mean on one hand like I, i I don't want to be like, well, I don't know. I I am actually going to judge the homeowners a little bit for, for doing that. Uh, You know, I, I, I think that like. I
1: hope they have little crosses in the window. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like such a perfectly, maybe American is too general, but that seems like. Bougie. (laughs) Yeah. We're just such a society of that half of little kids look out the window and go mommy we have an extra blanket why don't we help that kid i think that's the nature of a lot of humans
2: right we start out pretty empathetic yeah and there are studies that back that up like children will when they're hungry they will give their food to other people that are showing signs of hunger Mm -hmm. from very young ages so i think that human beings because we our success evolutionarily speaking has been to form communities and societies uh, because we're not the biggest we're not the strongest but we are the smartest and we can like Mm -hmm. form these collectives and work together to succeed i think that means that children when they're born are going to be naturally quite cooperative yeah Um, i know that maybe not always cooperative in putting their pants on and go to bedtime (laughs) but i mean in generally speaking like they're cooperative they kind of want to help and then we do teach them who is and who isn't worthy of our help and that's where the danger lies in terms of ostracizing people
1: absolutely putting boulders in front of it's <laughs> no. the value Spending of your home a huge
2: amount of money on boulders rather than like <laughs> donating it to something that might actually help the homelessness yeah. problem <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst yeah.
1: band-aid
2: yeah in history.
1: Oh, there's <laughs> a
2: boulder much less ugly than a human being
1: <laughs>
2: yeah uh yeah it is i don't know i mean i think that Obviously, it's a complicated issue, but it is something that I think if we approach it from a perspective of empathy and also understanding of kind of like, just listen, like, you know, home, people who are homeless aren't, Voiceless. I think they're infantilized a lot. Yeah. Like, oh, they're just a bunch of... Um, and these are w- words I'm using to demonstrate the attitude, not words I would actually use, but like, oh, they're just a bunch of crazy people. Right. Um, you know, ranting and rambling. And But like, no, actually, like, you can talk to people who are homeless and they will tell you about things. Obviously, like, some people are, you know, may have serious mental illness and maybe it may be harder to communicate with them. But like, a lot of people... Are, we'll, we'll talk to like there there's um I think it's called like Invisible People. It's a website about people who are homeless and like they, they'll they interview them and they'll like talk to them and, and like I feel like that's not represented in the media that much and like. It's,
1: that's a thing I've been wanting to do and meaning to do for I'll mm-hmm. talk to homeless people. I never record them but since I started this podcast I always thought that would be an adjacent one I'd like to do. Right. Because oh, there was this art exhibition I saw I believe he was a dentist, very successful, like Beverly Hills guy, retired and just went down to the Venice boardwalk with an easel and sat down and was like, do you mind if I paint you and find out a bit about you? Yeah. And then the idea of the art exhibit was that, only royalty and people of means get those paintings where like they're wearing a suit mm-hmm. and here's my father and my father's father <laughs> you know, like, and he's like why do only those people yeah. get treated that way right. and so he had them sit and posture themselves but you could just see everything in their faces in yeah. their eyes especially and then below it would just be like a paragraph or two that was their story yeah. and it was always crushing it yeah. was always something that was like they were abused they were kicked out of their house they went, on, they couldn't afford medication right. et, cetera, et cetera, and then they've been homeless for X can amount of be, years
2: and another thing is like people who like have um, like drug addictions to drugs like it's framed as a personal failing so they deserve whatever rather than like a health issue like this is a physical and mental health issue where you know you have a, a A drug that literally hijacks your brain and your body, and we like it's easier to understand that, I guess, when it's the opioid crisis and like you know Martha down the street, nice kindly soccer mom Martha, like suddenly succumbs to an opioid addiction, and you're like, oh okay, like this is the opioids thing. But then it's like, well, then the person like on the street who's suffered uh, an addiction to drugs, like. It's a similar thing going on Or alcohol Or alcohol Yeah Yeah, Which is a drug technically And like You know To say that like Oh you know It's like There's a fine line Between like Someone who has Alcoholism Who's functioning Who's wealthy And can manage it And someone who Is on the street And like You're like Oh I'm not (laughs) Like if I give If you give people Like that money They'll just spend it On alcohol And it's like Okay Even if That happens to be true In a certain situation then don't we need to do something to right. <laughs> figure out how to help them so that their life isn't consumed by?
1: Yeah, this? people never want to, and rightfully so. I saw this talk where a guy was like, you know, I don't want to diminish human beings, but if we had a car that always did X, Y, or Z behavior, swerve off the road to the right, right. we wouldn't get mad at that car. We'd be like, right. something's wrong here that we need to like park it in a garage for a bit and see if we can fix this right. before we put it back out on the street. And obviously, we don't want to look at people No, that, like...
2: People aren't cars. I mean, unlike, like... What? Well, I mean, there was that, the Pixar thing. Yeah, I've seen but the But when movies. you think about, but, like, the anatomy of those cars, right? Like, what's going on <laughs> inside the car?
1: They reproduce somehow.
2: Well, right. And, like, what's... What is it, like, if you open a door, is it just organs inside like like the, the do you see like the back of the giant retina and like the the yeah, optical the nerve are running weird. through the car and like a brain like what but think of how closely
1: we've made cars in some regard like they can sense what's in front right. of them now and slow down they kit, have an engine that's situation. like a heart yeah, yeah but yeah. they
2: pump they pump
1: fluid throughout the yeah. vessel to keep it the running the definition
2: of life pumping fluid they yeah. de- and they metabolize it <laughs> right, <laughs> they exactly. metabolize some well, sort of necessary. fuel I mean yeah that is true there's a whole there's whole arguments over what like con- constitutes life uh, like you know is a virus life because it can replicate and it uh, can reproduce and it, it can consume stuff but like in some ways it's not considered actual life because it's like a you know a cluster of of proteins and stuff that doesn't really have the same structure that living organisms <laughs> seem to have so uh, there there are but there are like there's a little bit of controversy over like what like if a computer say you make a robot that can reproduce and and consume fuel and like you know like do like grow and stuff then I don't know maybe that's life maybe cars is life but I feel like (laughs) we're getting far afield which is that people aren't cars but we do sometimes treat cars better than people and blame cars less for things I mean because it is true that our brains are complicated and we I think that the obviously like obviously uh our our own self will is a complete illusion, but no, no. I mean <laughs> I mean it is it is complicated and stuff, and we we have our personalities and our wills and our and like that's not to say like you're never ever responsible for your own actions like okay, yeah, sure, like we make an action like you're responsible for that, but what does it even to say like oh, you're responsible for your actions It's like, okay, I mean like if I walk outside and i w- I'm walking on the sidewalk and I kind of like trip on a rock and fall in the street and a big bus hits me and I go flying and then another bus hits me and I go flying and it's really comical <laughs> uh, I mean it was my responsibility for walking on that sidewalk and it was my responsibility for not being careful and tripping on the rock yeah. like do I deserve to get ping ponged around by a bunch of buses like no I would say no that's that's (laughs) like in the same way like is it someone's responsibility when they like you know start drinking too much alcohol like yeah okay yeah I mean they did that so that they are responsible for that action I suppose do they deserve to suffer like you know and like find themselves without a support network and without a comfortable place to sleep and rest and like no safety like of course they don't deserve that so I'm very tired of this idea of like oh you know we got to be personally responsible it's like okay I mean then that's just your way of not be not being responsible for your society like that's the irony of that whole personal responsibility thing is like you're abdicating your responsibility as a human to care about other people yeah. it's very frustrating <laughs>
1: <laughs> well now that we got y'all worked up yeah um How about, would you be up for taking a little break and then doing some more? Because I have so many more questions.
2: Absolutely. Okay. And here's the thing, relationship between me and beer is it's like beer and then also bathroom times happens. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll take a little break so you can do that and then
1: (laughs) (laughs) we'll pick back up.
2: Gross. Ew. (laughs) Get out of
0: here.
1: Well, I hope you liked part one. Come back for part two. We get... We just keep getting into it. It was uh, I really like chatting with Katie. I think she's funny and so smart. I mean, it, uh, we, I think we get into part two, we get into more of like her uh, going to Harvard and things like that and um, just more life stuff, just more how it all ties in psychology and evolutionary biology. So fascinating and things that I think all of us um, wonder about and it, those two things tied in it or, or do tie into kind of the philosophy of... What it all means, man. So uh, come back and check that out, and you can listen to her podcast as I mentioned. Creature Feature. You can Follow her on Twitter. I think it's just Katie Golden, or if you search that, it's D I N, not E N. And she's also this really funny bird character on Twitter called Pro Bird Rights. I think it's just at Pro Bird Rights. Uh, so check those out. She's great, and support support what she's doing. And um, and if you want to support this show, like I mentioned. Uh, You can support it on Patreon. It's a couple bucks a month, like 50 cents a week. You can get access to at least, usually, one extra hour per month, sometimes more. Some behind-the-scenes stuff from time to time. Some rambling, like I did most recently, um, with not feeling great. One, I didn't want to have guests come over and potentially subject them to getting sick, especially with this uh, moderate fear of the coronavirus and whatnot. And two... um, just I don't know that I felt up to it whereas sitting there by myself and doing uh, a solo episode somehow made sense so uh we get into the the death and also uh surrounding circumstances around uh, Kobe Bryant involving the sexual assault in 2003 if that's of any interest to you you might like that episode Uh, I've heard back from a few of you that seem to enjoy it so uh i don't foresee too many of those happening however who knows who knows that i feel like i said who knows uh who knows well i did kind of like just rambling on and if that's uh something that is of interest you'll get more of that in the patreon and and kind of along the same line there uh oh and welcome back to dan we're back in action Um, His wife Ashley is undergoing treatment soon And we'll all be pulling for her If you have a chance to send some good energy Out into the world Particularly aim it towards Australia It would be just fantastic Um, I would really like to see her pull through And be happy and 100% healthy Not just for her sake But Dan as well and all of us We don't want anyone being sad or, or, Or feeling unhealthy So send a little positive energy that way and um thanks again to Rob Crow for doing the theme song for this show. We've been doing it now for quite a while, and uh hopefully you've come to expect and enjoy that song when you press play to hear this show. And going back to the Kobe Bryant thing, I was thinking more about recent people in my life that have uh gone away. My friend Garrett Voss, who I played um uh high school basketball with really unexpected and um real unfortunate and then also um Alex Coyle and I I last time right after Alex had passed away I played a song for his wife Margie who was my boss and someone I just love and think is great and helped me out so much in comedy I, I used to work at the comedy club in Austin at Cap City I would answer phones during the day and then I would you know, deliver food to people's tables at night and wash dishes. And I really just wanted to be around comedy. And I I couldn't get more immersed in it really than I was. It seemed like, and I'd stick around at night and watch all the shows and do comedy as much as I possibly could. I was just, I felt like I was in and around comedy nonstop. And then behind the scenes, Margie was always giving me advice and helping me out and contacting people to try to, um, help connect me or, or, or help things go in a good direction. So I always appreciated that. And I think I talked about her relationship with Alex as well and how inspiring it was. And I played a song last time just that I happened to have on deck that just I thought was pretty, but it didn't really convey any sort of a message or anything like that. And not that that's always necessary. Sometimes um, when you have a loss, you just... You just want to hear something that takes your mind off of it that's completely different. So I thought that was more apropos at the time, just something kind of pretty. But uh, I feel like this song, and this might make you cry if you've uh, suffered a loss or your um, your partner or significant other is, is maybe going through something, uh, but this made me think so much of Alex and Margie and a really genuinely sweet way to think about it, which we're all in this together going through life at the same time and we're experiencing each other's existence in real time as it happens and then some of our favorite people maybe we come across after they've been long gone and we read their books or hear their music or we just catch on to them right before they go away and you go ah dang it i never got to see them live or have a chat with them or just go to a concert or even hear a story from someone that was there whatever that may be so when you're lucky enough to Uh, Exist at the same time and fall in love with someone that shares a lot of your same views or whatever that may be toward what existence is, Um, sometimes it's hard to elaborate on what that is. You, You either just kind of know it intuitively and you nod at each other like, this is pretty great. We're here at the same time and we enjoy each other's company. And then there's this unspoken thing of like, oh, there's a chance that we might not be forever in this situation And that's what this song is about It really makes me think of Alex and, um, and Margie too And I hope she's doing well So And I hope you're doing well I hope 2020 is off to a good start for you And enjoy this song by Jason Isbell and the 400 unit It's called If We Were Vampires I hope you like it Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave
0: It's not the long flowing dress that you're in or oh, the light coming off of your skin, the fragile heart you protected for so long, or the mercy in your sense of right and wrong. It's not your hands searching slow in the dark, or your nails leaving love as watermark It's not the way you talk me off the roof. Your questions like directions to the truth It's knowing that this can't go on forever Likely one of us will have to spend some days alone Maybe we'll get 40 years together But one day I'll be gone One day you'll be gone If we were vampires and death was a joke We'd go out on the sidewalk in the snow And laugh at all the lovers and their plans I wouldn't feel the need to hold your hand Maybe time running out is a gift I'll work hard till the end of my shift And give you every second I can find hope it isn't me who's left behind. It's knowing that this can't go on forever. Likely one of us will have to spend some days alone. Maybe we'll get 40 years together. One day I'll be gone. One day you'll be one of us will have to spend some days alone Maybe we'll get 40 years together One day I'll be gone One day you'll be